I'm going to turn there to Psalm 13. And I'll read, and we'll pray, and we'll jump right in. <clears throat> Psalmist David writes, again, beginning with some questions here at the beginning of this psalm, setting the stage. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful with me. Amen. Lord, and we um, know, Lord, that you're um, faithful. And God, as you put this song of praise in David's heart and mind, even in the midst of the hard things that he was going through, Lord, that caused him to cry out and to question. Lord, I know that there's times in our own lives where we cry out and question. Look at what's going on around us with confusion and, and, and with lack of understanding, even doubt, Lord, doubt in your goodness and your, your, your grace and mercy for us. And Lord, in those times, first of all, we repent, Lord, and ask for your forgiveness when we, we challenge who you are, question your love for us. But Lord, I pray, God, that like David, for us here today, um, God, that as we trust you with what's going on in our lives and in our world around us and in our ministries that you've given to us in our marriages and in our, in our workplace with our kids, Lord, as we trust in you, God, that, that we would um, also be given a song, a song of praise to sing to you. And Lord, we love you for the fact that you care about us. Lord, we love you for the fact that um, you're good to us, patient, and long-suffering. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this psalm, like I said, is another one that's written by David, King David, and um, it's what's referred to <clears throat> and, and I don't really understand exactly why this, one of this, this psalm out of a lot of the others are given this title of a transitional psalm because in my opinion of things, most of the psalms are transitional in nature. But it's referred to as a psalm of transition because it, it, it clearly starts in this place of discouragement, right? I mean, we're reading it, David's discouraged. He's in despair. But where he finishes is different than where he begins. And there's this transition that takes place where David finishes in a place of trust, a place of joy, and really a place of encouragement. And most commentators believe that this psalm could be connected in regards to a, a, a timeline of events or something specific in, in, in David's life, but connected to an overall view of what David went through during his time of exile. Remember when King Saul was hunting him down with his armies in this attempt to kill him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we read about the final events that led up to David's exile, where he had to take flight from Saul and from his court. And um, in verse 3 are the words that David spoke to his dear friend Jonathan, the son of Saul. 
And I think these words, if this psalm is related to, to David's exile, I think these words kind of set the stage also for um, what we study here in the psalm. Because when David spoke to Jonathan, he expressed the distress that he was in, the level of the distress that he was in, and he said this to Jonathan, quote, he said, there is but a step between me and death. So David was desperate. He was feeling hopeless in that moment, in that time, uncertain of what was before him. And with this being said, I also want to point out, though, that I don't think it really matters much for the reasons why um, David had actually written this psalm. And I point that out because we don't know for sure if it's connected to David's exile but I, I don't think it matters much because the feelings that, are, that, are, are, that were produced that David expresses here, the feelings that were produced by whatever circumstances that David had found himself in is what caused David to pour out his soul before God. It wasn't the circumstances. It was the emotion, the feelings that came as a result of whatever hardship or trial that, that he was going through. And these feelings of discouragement and despair are something that all of us can relate to and have experienced probably over and over again at different times in our lives. And even though David's address is short, the psalm's really only six verses long, what we see is that, that David's journey of faith, as detailed in this psalm, is something that we should take note of, and I think really look to apply to our own lives in times when we feel burdened, when the times when we're feeling discouraged by our circumstances. Because when we do this, we, like David, you guys, guaranteed, when we do this like David has done here, as an example to us, we're going to find encouragement. And, and who, who doesn't want that in our time of discouragement, in the time of despair? We don't want to stay in that place. We want to be encouraged. We want to be lifted up. And, and that's what we see. And we'll find the encouragement ultimately that we need. Here's the key in order to face the difficulties that are before us with a joy that can only come from God. And so as we study through this psalm, we see that by God's grace, I love this, that David turned his sufferings into a song of praise. And there's been times in my own life, and I love this when it kind of happens naturally, where I'll go to bed, you know, like David says here, he says, where I'm actually, what verse is that? He says, um, taking counsel with my soul. Have you ever done that? He says, having sorrow in my heart daily. By the way, if you're taking counsel with yourself, with your soul, you're always going to have sorrow daily. <laughs> That's how it always works. And there's been times when I've gone to bed, counseling with my soul, feeling the sorrow, and yet, you know, through that night, and then waking up in the morning with a song of praise in my heart, in my mind, as I, my, my, my heart's been shifted, my focus has been shifted upon the greatness and the goodness of God. And, and I love that David's sufferings were turned into a song of praise. And, and he left this song, I think, and others like it, in order to be an encouragement for us in our own times of trial, in our own times of suffering. Furthermore, like David has done for us, think about this before we go into this psalm, because as David has done for us, guys, we need to also be encouraging others with the same kind of comfort that we've received during those times when we've been facing trouble and our sufferings have been turned into times of praise, songs of praise. In fact, guys, we're instructed to do this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, which says this, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So, Paul says, so that we might comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort, Paul says, overflows. He says, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, Paul says. Why? Because we know that just as you are share in our sufferings, in other words, we experience what you experience and, and, and you experience what we experience, he says, so also you shall share in our comfort. In other words, the same comfort that we've received from God, he's, he's saying, you can have hope that you'll receive that same kind of comfort. And Paul's being this encouragement and saying, guys, that's the other part of it. When God's done this for us, we go and look to do that for others, to encourage them, to comfort them in their time. And so as we take that admonition, I think, and look back to verse 1 of chapter 13, it says here, David, with these questions, how long? And we begin to see where David's at and, and, and what's going on in his heart, what's going on in his mind. He's burying that before the Lord, and he asks these real questions of how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Two questions. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now, I think the best way to look at this psalm is really with three divisions, okay? And, and I read verses one and two first because this is that first division. The first division of this three-division psalm is with David asking a series of questions that really reveal to us um, how he was feeling, you get a really good sense. You don't know the circumstances behind it. Like I said, I don't think it's necessary, we, but you get a clear picture into David's heart, how he was a feeling as a result of whatever the circumstances that he was facing. And, 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 and he was feeling now as a result of ultimately, get this, as he, as he cries out to God, we see that these feelings were somehow connected not only to his circumstances, but because of expectations that he had in God. Not wrong expectations, but perhaps in his mind, an unfulfilled expectation as David was, was caused to wait in these circumstances that were unfavorable from his perspective. The second, second section or division of this psalm is in verses 3 through 4. And in this section, David is really moving on to deal with his enemies. And in doing so, as, as he's dealing with his, his enemies, he turns to God in prayer. Remember that. That's, that's the vehicle. That's the second thing that needs to take place in our lives in order to find that, that, that encouragement to move into that place of transition or to move through the, 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 the distress and the despair to the place where we can too receive the encouragement from God. And then lastly, in verses 5 and 6, we see that David is um, ultimately dealing with his faith. And, and, and so from, from fear and discouragement and maybe misplaced expectations and um, his enemies, and ultimately David comes to this place where he transitions to faith, and he deals with this faith. And as is the case with so many of the Psalms, we see 
That when the psalmist, here specifically mean David, but when the psalmist, in all of the psalms, this is the thing to remember, is that when they looked at their problems, right? When they looked at their doubts, when they were focused on their trials and their sufferings, uh, when, they, when, they, when, they, when they looked at all of these things through the lens of faith in God, they immediately moved. They immediately moved from despair to hope, from sorrow to joy. And so the challenge for us this morning is how are we looking? At what lens are we looking at our troubles, our circumstances, the world that we live in today? What lens are we looking at them through? You see, even though David was ultimately in a place where he was in hope and had joy, we see clearly this is not the place where he began. And if this psalm was truly written during the time when David was forced or made to flee King Saul's court and leave behind his wife in exchange for the caves of Adullam and the deserts of Engede, Mon, and Ziph, if this was truly the case, I think we can then better understand why he would cry out to God in verse 1 and say, How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? And in light of this questioning, it's pretty obvious that David had felt abandoned, don't you think? David had felt abandoned by God. His Lord, where are you? How long? After all, think about it. If it was in light of these circumstances that we suspect him to be, we know that God had promised David the throne of Israel, that David would be the next king. Not two or three kings later after Saul, but a replacement for Saul. In fact, we know that the prophet Samuel had anointed David with oil. And at that time, when he was anointed to be the next king, we're told the Spirit of the Lord came upon that David that day and never left him. But the direction that David was now heading, right, when he was standing before his friend Saul or, or Jonathan and saying, Jonathan, there's but one step between me and death. I have to leave. In that moment, at that time, the direction that David was now faced to go, it, it, it had to make it seem to him like the day of his coronation and the promises of God that were made to him were getting further and further and further away and maybe even that they would never happen. Not only this, but Saul was doing evil things to David. He was, an, he was not a good king. And, and, and from David's perspective, at this time, in this moment, God wasn't judging Saul. And David, on the contrary, David was doing good things. He was faithful to God. He honored God. And his situation wasn't getting better. It was getting worse from his perspective. And so it's obvious that David was disturbed by what the enemy was doing. But in these first two verses... What we see is how he was more concerned about what God was not doing. You ever been in that spot? Really concerned about what God's not doing when you think this is what he should be doing? And four times in these two verses, David asks this question, and it begins with how long. And this question of how long is, is such a familiar question considering this, this question is found all throughout scriptures, and considering it's probably a question that all of us have also asked at least a time or two. And the fact of the matter is, is, is 
as long as our heart is right with God, this question of how long, it's a perfectly good question to ask. In and of itself, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. How long, God? But here's the deal. We typically ask this question of God because we're in trouble. That's when we typically ask, right? It's, it's not typically when we just feel like we're being, that God's blessings are just being poured out on us, right? And we're like, oh God, how much longer is this going to go on? And it's usually when we've been praying for help and no help comes, right? How long? God, I'm praying for help. I'm asking you to do this thing. I know it's in line with your will. I know it's in line with what you've promised me. I know it's in line with what you said. Help, but how long? Why is none coming? At times when we're not delivered from our troubles and, and consequently we, we can tend those times to feel deserted, Right? tend to feel deserted, and clearly David felt as if God was ignoring him at the very least, and that this alienation was final. David was really questioning that. God, have you forsaken me forever? Will you forget me forever? But not only this, apparently David felt like he had been left alone in order to try to figure out for himself the various ways to overcome his enemy. And God's a good God. He never does that to us. I've done that to my kids where I've been like, I'm just fed up with you in this minute. I just, you just figure it out yourself. And I'm like, what? And, 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 and God's not like that with us, but at times we can feel like that. God, where are you at? I'm left to figure this out on my own. I don't know what to do here. And this is when David said, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? Another translation puts it like this. How long shall I wrestle with my thoughts? Ooh, that's familiar, huh? How long shall I wrestle with my thoughts? And obviously this caused David to further despair, as it always does, because nothing he could devise on his own to try and remedy the situation ultimately would bring some kind of satisfaction to him or to the situation. Because it did not take away, here's the key, it did not take away the hopelessness and it did not give David the peace or the joy that surpasses the understanding of his circumstances, of his situation. Guys, and this is, this is due to the fact that, listen, we're called to live by faith, are we not? Walk by faith, live by faith, stand in faith. But here's the deal, living in faith, or... or, or Faith is this. Faith is living without scheming. Faith means not leaning. Living in faith means not leaning on your own experiences. Living in faith means not relying upon your own understanding or on your own skills in an attempt to try to plot our own ways. In fact, this is exactly what we're warned against in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, which says this, there's a way, right? There's a way. It seems right to us, but its end is death. It's in his death. And a lot of these feelings that, that, of David that he was expressing to God, I want to point out that it's a dangerous thing for us to give in to our feelings. And trust me, I, I know, feelings can make it seem well, the reality of the situation may be distorted from our perspective when we are giving in to our feelings. 
And, 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 and our feelings can wrongly, in our mind, cause us to believe that. So this is how it really is. But it's a dangerous thing to give in to our feelings. Why? Because our feelings can be deceptive. Our feelings can be undependable. However, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't deny our feelings and pretend that everything is going well when it really is not. I've met people like that. I've tried to do that myself. You know? Just, just suppress your feelings. It's all going to be fine, right? And, and in a sense, you're lying to yourself. Again, you're doing the same thing that in, in just a way where you're taking counsel with your own soul. Rather, what we need to do is we need to follow David's example. Instead of reacting in an emotional way, we need to pour out our heart to God in a step of faith. That's what we see going on here from the very beginning. And then allow for him, God, to lead us according to his ways and according to his understanding. And when we apply this example to our lives and, 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 and see the faithfulness of God, then we, like David, will replace the question of how long with the words that David wrote in another psalm that's found in Psalm 31, verses 14 through 15, where David said this, but as for me, I trust in you. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. And if we're trying, guys, to find comfort, any comfort in our time of distress, we must learn this lesson to trust in God. Now in verse 3, David shifts, as I said, the second division. Then he says, consider me. He's praying now. He's not questioning. There's these requests that are being made. Very profound, very simple requests. I think that should guide us in our own prayer life. But David says in verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And in these verses, said the second division of the psalm, and David moves away from his feelings, okay? He just didn't ignore them. He brought them before God, but that's not where he stayed. There's a transition. And, and listen, lots of times if we're just sharing our feelings to God and we never, we never stop then it's just an issue of whining and complaining, Right? It's not, it's not that you're, you, maybe your kids have done this. They've come to you before, and we're like, and I keep relating to kids because God's our father and we're his kids, right? And, and, and sometimes your kids come to you, and, and they're like sharing their feelings with you, and, and you, you, you like try to give them counsel and, and encouragement, and they're just like, they keep staying in this place where they just want to talk about their feelings. And they're whiny, and they're complaining, and it's like, clearly they don't want to move from that spot. Guys, we got to be careful when we come to God in our own prayer life that that's not what we're doing. We're just not going, oh, God, this today and that today, and I turn on the TV, and I turn on the radio, and this happened at work, and my spouse is this, and my kids are that, and on and on and on and on and on. And, and we want to be able to bring those things to God. He says, bring them to me, but don't stay there. Transition. And so David transitions and he moves away from his feelings to the place of true prayer and tells God about what's going on, these outward dangers that he was facing from his enemies. But David's prayer is very specific as he brings that into the discussion. 
And the reason for why David prayed this way in the face of the current danger is the same reason for why we might pray this way when we're facing real danger. And this is because, guys, listen, even though we may have an abundance of God's peace, you may receive God's peace in this transition. And even though we may receive an abundance of God's peace comforting us on the inside, here's the truth. And I love this about God's word, and I love this about what David examples for us. Here's the truth is, is the peace does not take away the real danger, does it? It's still there. In other words, we need God's peace on the inside, but we also need God's protection on the outside. And both is available to us, in him, through him. And this is why David continued to pray in verses 3 and 4 and made three practical requests. The first was this, two words, consider me. Consider me. And when David asked this, he was pleading with God to look at him and to notice the danger that he was in. He's like, God, do you see this? Consider me. And, and David had asked this because he felt, he did, he felt like God wasn't paying attention to him. He felt like God wasn't paying attention, that God hadn't noticed. Now David's second request was for the Lord to hear him, and I love this because it's more specific. It, it wasn't just a considering, specifically he, would, he was praying that God would, would hear him and then answer him, right? Men, we're guilty of this. Your wife would be like, did you hear me? Huh? <laughs> it's like, what she's saying is, and we may or may not have heard, no, I've got to incriminate myself here, but um, she's, she's looking for the answer, right? You didn't respond. You didn't acknowledge. And David's going, God, hear me. Hear me and answer me. Answer me by sending me some kind, of, some kind of encouragement. And once again, I believe this request is no different than the request that any of us would make when we call out to God with this hope and this expectation that God is going to hear us and then also what? Answer our prayers. Answer our prayers by bringing some kind of help for the danger or the situation that we're in, the thing that we're, we're making our need known. But apparently David felt like his prayers were accomplishing nothing and this is probably due to the fact that his circumstances weren't changing. And guys, we can't judge God's hearing and answering by what we see going on around us. That's so unfair. And, 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 and really what we're doing is we are in that moment putting ourselves on the throne of God in, in his place. And when we study the book of Samuel, think about this now, and when we bring this all into some context, maybe perhaps what was going on, when we look back on David's exile, we know that David ran and hid from Saul, think about this, for another 10 years of his life. And so maybe we could understand, you know, maybe this is in the ninth year, and David's going, Lord, how long? You said I was going to be king. You anointed me. You sent the prophet Samuel. I was in Saul's court. And then, then everything changed. And now nothing looks to me because of my circumstances like what you said is going to come true. Nine, ten years of that. Yet when we look back on what the Scripture tells us about these years of David's life is that in spite of what David was feeling in this moment, and remember, feelings don't always dictate the reality, correct? How we feel isn't always true. 
You see, when we look back, I want to point this out, when we look back over these 10 years, in spite of what David was feeling in this moment about God not hearing him, about God not taking care of him, the truth is, is that God was intimately paying attention to David in his life, in those 10 years of wandering through the wilderness and fleeing for his life over and over and over again. God was paying attention. In fact, what we know when we look back, hindsight, right? 2020, this kind of a thing. What we know is that God had delivered David from Saul's hand over and over and over again. But because God did not remove David from the trial, because God did not take David out of the storm that he was facing, David was questioning God's attentiveness. David was questioning God's willingness to hear him and answer him. And the point is, is, is God is always listening to us. He is. God, God hears. He hears. He knows. He cares. He's always listening to us. But guys, he may not answer us in the way that we want, in the time that we want. He may not move us from the trials. He not, may not remove us from the dangers. He may not remove us from the storm that we're facing in this life, but he will always protect us. He will always allow for the hard things that we face to do the perfect work in us. And we know that during that 10-year period of David's life, that is exactly what was taking on, is David was taking the shepherd boy and making him a man who was after his own heart and making him into a man who would be a servant to, the, to, the, to him as the king of, of, of Israel. God will allow for these hard things that we are facing to do its perfect work in us. And so the third and last thing that David prayed in this verse is, in my opinion, as the stage has been set for the most profound and the most helpful thing, and it was David, David was praying, enlighten my eyes. Help me to see, right? Enlighten my eyes. In other words, David was asking for God to give him his understanding, God's understanding in the situation. I feel this way, God, but help me to see it more clearly. Help me to see it for what it really is. Help me to see what you're doing. Enlighten my eyes. Give me your understanding. Give me, literally, he's praying for God to give him wisdom. His wisdom. And David asked for this because he knew that this is how he would ultimately be strengthened to face his enemies. To keep going on when he felt like quitting. In fact, David goes on in verse 4 and rightly declares that if God does not pay attention to him, if God did not answer, and if he did not give him understanding, his wisdom, his understanding, his strength, then David said, God, there's no hope for me. And that's true for each one of us. Apart from that gift of God, his understanding, his wisdom, his strength, there's no hope for us, and the enemy would prevail. Listen, in Psalm chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and a strength to your bones. Now, as I reflect on the third, on 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 this three-part prayer of David, right? Consider, 
me, hear me, enlighten my eyes. When I reflect on this, I find it interesting that David, guys, I find it interesting that David continued to call out to God even though he had just expressed how he felt like God had forgotten him, right? In verses one and two. And, and just simply from a logical point of view, why would you do that, right? God's gone. You've forgotten me forever. But God, consider me, hear me, enlighten my eyes. And I think David did this for two reasons. And, and the first is that he was desperate, right? God, even if you're not there, I have no one else to come to, right? Peter, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Jesus said, you're going to leave too? Where are, you going to go? where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And David was desperate, and he believed he would die if God did not intervene. And this is why he continued to pray. Furthermore, I believe that, and, and, and so he was praying, and so what I want you to see here is a step of faith, right? He was praying in spite of what he saw, in spite of what he felt he took the step of faith and called out to God. But I think there's another reason why. I, I, I believe that not only did David believe that he died, I believe that in spite of how David felt, he knew the truth, right? And sometimes we wrestle with our feelings and what we know to be true, right? How can this be true when I feel this way? But we wrestle with the truth. And I think David was wrestling with truth. But he ultimately knew deep down that God would not and had not forgotten him right? Sometimes we feel like that, but deep down we know. We look back on what God is and how he has been for us in the past, and yet we're called to walk by faith, and this is a step of faith. So David continued to pray, and one of the good things about this is that we see how God is honored, guys, when we persistently and when we desperately cry out to him. Do you see this? And the truth is, is that God often waits. Think about this. I've thought about this a lot in my life, in certain circumstances where God still hasn't answered my prayers that I know is his desire and his will. I know, I'm, I know without a doubt I'm praying in his will. No question. And, and yet times I, I'm like, God, why isn't this not like that yet? This is your will too. Or, or promises that God's made to me that have not come to pass. And yet I continue to pray. And, and so I, I, I want to point this out. The truth is, is that I think that God often waits until our prayers are desperate before he answers us because when we pray, I think probably more times than not, it can be with this attitude of wanting God to care about things that we really don't care too much about. No passion in our prayer, no heart. And so perhaps the reason for why there is no power behind our prayers at times is because our prayers lack desperation. And, and, and desperate prayer has power, I think, because it demonstrates that our heart cares passionately about the things God cares about, not because our, our, des our desperation somehow is like this way to manipulate or persuade a reluctant God. That's not it at all. And I think, I think ultimately that it's, it's about God bringing this to this place where we care about what he cares about in the same ways. It's always about the heart. And God brings us one with him in that. 
You see, I believe this is exactly what Jesus was speaking about in John chapter 15, verse 7, when he spoke to his disciples a promise to them, and he was talking to them about abiding in him, and he said this, if you abide in me, if you are, do you take up residence with me? If we are one with one another, one in heart, one in thought, if you abide with me, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Jesus said this, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And after David prayed in this way, we see that he then transitioned to this place of confidence. To this place of confidence. And in verses five, he says, but, the all, the all important word, right? But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And, and I love that last part, and I'll get to it a little more, but the, 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 the verbiage there is important. It's, it's not that, he says, not because you will, although that's a step of faith, forward, but David's using this step of faith and having this confidence as he again looks back. Because you, he has, he has, David says. Yeah, Lord, when I take a look, when I take a step back, and, 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 and reflect on this, I see you've, you've dealt bountifully with me. You've dealt bountifully with me. In these final verses, I think it's the word but that we need to pay the most attention to as it's the indicator of the transition, that David had transitioned, right, from fear to faith. He transitioned from his fears to faith and from questioning the promises of God to then claiming the promises of God. And man, we need to do that in our prayer life because lots of times we start off questioning in our prayers the promises of God. God, you said this. God, you're like that. What's going on? And our prayers lack power in some sense because we never get to the place where we're claiming the promises of God in a biblical way <laughs> that have been put before us. And clearly, David's focus in this moment at this time is not on the inward struggle of his feelings or on the outward dangers from his enemy. And even though David had been, like most of us can be at times, on this emotional roller coaster, right? When he was focused on these things, his enemies and his feelings, the fact of the matter is, is that God never left his throne. And the fact of the matter is, is that God's character never changed. And, and when David took his eyes off of the problems that he was facing and put his eyes on the known and proven character of God, what he had, knew to, what he had come to, to know to be true about God, what he, what he had come to know about the, the character of God through his own experience, God's merciful nature, God's salvation, and ultimately on the bounty of God's blessings that had been poured out on his life, David's sorrows and David's fears of an abandonment were then replaced with this song of praise. You see that? And so at the very end of this psalm, David declared that his heart would rejoice. In what? In God's salvation. And that he would sing to the Lord because the Lord has dealt bountifully with him. And David could now do this because his eyes were enlightened. He wasn't seeing things only from his limited perspective. His eyes were enlightened and David could now see the goodness of God that had always been there with him. 
If the worship team wants to come up, I'm going to end with this. In light of this, we need to understand because this needs to be our prayer. God, enlighten my eyes. Help me to see it the way that you see it. Don't let me be blinded from the reality of the truth that sometimes happened because of the way that I feel about a certain thing or because of the circumstances that I see with my own eyes. Lord, you enlighten my eyes. And, 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 and we need to understand that before God can enlighten our eyes, we must agree this. We must come to this understanding that we don't see everything. You, there's, we will never cry out to God to show me, to, to enlighten my eyes, if we don't first agree that we don't see everything. We need to realize that our feelings are not giving us full and accurate information. But if we will do this and cry out to the Lord, he will enlighten our eyes and he'll bring us from this place of despair to this place of trust, to the place of joy, into the place of confidence in him. And in closing, I want to point out that relying upon God leads to rejoicing in the Lord. Every time, relying upon God will always lead you to the place where you're rejoicing in the Lord. And in light of all of these things, I think we should be, I think we should be reminded... That as God's people, you've heard me say this before, but as God's people, we don't live on expectations. We live on promises. We live on promises. And we live on the proven and unchanging character of our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and true, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that your love for us is not ever going to fail. And Lord, we pray that in the midst of all this darkness and confusion that's going on in the world around us, that you would give us understanding, that you would enlighten our eyes, God, that you would hear us, that you would consider us, because we know, God, that this is who you are to us. And so, Lord, may we leave here this morning with a song of praise on our lips and in our hearts that would carry us through this week. So, Lord, that the encouragement that we've received from you, the comfort that we've received from you, Lord, that we could then be that same encouragement and comfort, that it would overflow into the lives of people around us. Lord, we know that there are many who are discouraged, many who are suffering. And, Lord, we want to be your vessels. We want to be that clay in your hands, Lord. So mold us and shape us, Lord. And, and break us, God, so that what comes in may be poured out. We love you. We worship you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.